could use a little rain. <laughs> so <laughs> we praise you for just all the beauty that is surrounding us right now. Just spring makes us, it reminds us of your gospel. It reminds us that we come from death into life. Thinking about that baptismal Sunday and things like that. We, we celebrate who you are and what you've done. And we give you all the glory for what you're doing in this world. Father, we do pray for uh, cool water to be uh, poured on the hot emotions across the world right now. We ask for uh, clarity. We ask that you would use these events that are happening all around the world to uh, break down the strongholds and the barriers that stand against your gospel and against your glory going forth in this world. And we ask that your church would be trained and taught and and challenged and that we would be responsible and uh, responsive as as a matter of fact to your calling to to glorify your name across the world with with the message of your gospel and what you're doing father we we need you not only personally each one in this room today or watching online we need you personally but we this world needs you and we really want to be uh sort of used in your hands for your glory and for your namesake right now more than ever. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So if you haven't been with us, we've been going through three different little mini-series, four-week mini-series, uh, and, and we're in the s- second week of the third series. So we have a couple more weeks and we're, we're going to be done with all of the, these little... So it's 12 weeks, that's basically one series, but we're calling them different little things. But anyway, and today, this, this one is called Cat and Dog Theology, like this book is called, right? And uh, today we're going to talk about how we can end up being selfish or self-centered in our faith as Christians. Last week, if you were, if you were here, we asked, who's the main character of the Bible? And... Uh, we asked, it was, is it humanity, is it mankind, is it people, or is it God, right? Who's the main character? Two different ways of looking at the scriptures and at life and all that kind of stuff. We called one of those cat theology and the other one dog theology. And um, it, it's funny, anytime you put cats and dogs, little you know, key cats and dogs in a sermon, everybody's like, that was a great sermon. <laughs> Just because it was about cats and dogs, I think. But... Um, <laughs> cats think that they're the main, you know, sort of character of the scriptures and, and, and of life, and life's all about them, right? And so their theology is very man-centered. And dogs think that God's the main character of the scriptures and that life is all about him, all about the Lord, and that the, their theology, therefore, is God-centered, right? So you, we're either a cat or a dog or a little bit of both, maybe. And you think of a selfish bride, right? If you, you know, a selfish bride that's only marrying for money or only marrying for what she can get out of life. You know, you see those pictures of, you know, old guys marrying a 21-year-old. You're like, "Mm, that's, you know, the old rich guys. And you're like, yeah, we know what that's all about, right? And in Revelation 21, uh, the scriptures refer to us as the bride of Christ. We all know that, right? But what if the church was just like a selfish bride? Right? Uh, you know, we approach God only for what we can get from Him. We'd, we'd be coming to God not for who He really is, for glorifying Him for who, who He really is, but for what He can give us, and that, and that alone. 
right? Now, it's not bad to get from God and want to want to get from God, but if that's the only way we're looking at him, we're just being a selfish bride. We'd be saying, I want your blessings. I want all those promises and those blessings, but I, I don't, you know, but not really you. Uh, which is really a selfish cancer that, you know, in the church, you know, found in, in just about all elements of church life. We could sit and go through and identify in, uh, places in worship or in, you know, how we, how we express ourselves in church, and we can see symptoms of this. And today I want to go over six different symptoms or signs discovering some of the ways that a selfishness affects us in the church. Symptom number one is that cats have a feel-good theology, right? Cats have a very feel-good theology. They sort of use their, their, if anybody has teenagers, you know, you watch them go to the refrigerator. Cats use their Bibles like a teenager uses the refrigerator, right? They just open it up, they, they look inside, they rummage around, they take what they want and they leave, right? And that's it, Right? I, one of my jobs has become as a man, you know, as a father in a house with a bunch of people, I, not only my kids live there, but other people live there, is reorganizing our refrigerator. There's so many people that have so much food in my refrigerator all the time that people just chuck stuff in there. I have to reorganize it. That's one of the dad jobs, I think. But anyway, but, um, you know, so they use the, we use, the cats use their, their Bibles like a refrigerator. They take, they open it up, take what they want, and they leave the rest, right? For instance, in reading Psalm 103, verse 11, which says this, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As the Father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And cats love that verse. Love it. They memorize it. They meditate on it. Oh, it feels so good to read that, how, how much God loves me and all that kind of stuff. But when they encounter 1 Peter 2.20, which says this, If you endure when you are beaten for doing wrong, what credit is that? But if you endure when you do right and suffer for it, you have God's approval. For to this you have been called... Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. And a cat thinks, suffer? <laughs> suffer? That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't fit my theology. Right? I don't, I don't like that at all. I'm going to skip over that one, and I'm going to go to a verse that feels a little bit better. So they, they rummage around the refrigerator, and they find Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3, which says this. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me, and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock, and he gave me a firm place to stand. And he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. And and cats love that verse. They, they memorize that. They meditate on it. It feels so good. Oh, what God has done for me. Mm. Right? And then they go to Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, which says, You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And a jealous God does not fit their theology. They think jealous... Why would God be jealous? 
right? Doesn't sound right. Is he just a big old moody being up there? Does he does he have a poor self-image of himself? You know, is he just waiting in heaven for someone to come along and to worship him? You know, and all that stuff. I don't get it. I'm I'm going to skip that verse. There's no way I I can meditate on that, or uh, and there's no way I'm going to memorize that verse. I want verses which feel good. By the way, that concept of jealousy is why Oprah gave up on Christianity and started basically her own religion. Because you can't have a jealous God. Total misunderstanding. And so they go off and they find Jeremiah 29 verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you. We love this one, right? Declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I will listen to you. And you will seek me and, when, and, and find me. And when you seek me with all your heart. And cats think, man, now that speaks to me. That's a good verse, man. I'm going to memorize that one. I'm going to meditate on that. That feels so good. So, so good. But then they go to Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the verse, verses that I've drummed quite a bit in here for months and months and months now. And, and they, these verses scare a cat. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all that kind of stuff. Go make disciples of all nations? I'd have to get a passport. I'd have to go overseas. I'd have to eat strange food with my fingers. I'd have to learn a new language. <sighs> I'd have to sleep in weird places. I'd have to learn a whole new way of life and a whole new worldview. I don't even go to Taco Bell. That doesn't sit right with me. What if God wanted me to go to Pakistan? That would be too dangerous. He doesn't want me to be in harm's way. That doesn't feel right. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to stay comfortable. I'm going to stay secure. This verse obviously does not apply to me. Cats love to meditate on and memorize all the pleasing verses in Scripture, but tough, uncomfortable verses, not so much. And when they do read them, they subconsciously say, these verses don't make me feel good. God wouldn't want me to be uncomfortable. They must apply to somebody else, not to me. God would never have me be uncomfortable. Cats rarely read, much less memorize, verses which don't make them feel good because they believe God lives for them. And if God lives for them then God would never ask them to go outside of their comfort zone. So cats have a th selective theology, right? Metaphorically, they rip out pages of the Bible. They, they don't, I don't like this one. You know, I, that one doesn't apply for me. I don't need, I don't need that one. I don't want to, I don't want to do that one. And like a teenager at a refrigerator, they just take only what they want and they leave the rest. And who becomes God in that scenario? Sometime this week, quiz yourself. Open your Bible up to any page where you have highlighted verses. And, and, and ask yourself, is it a feel-good verse or is it a challenging, difficult verse? That's sort of a barometer revealing whether, whether or not we have a cat theology or a dog theology, right? 
Symptom number two, cats and dogs get to heaven differently, don't they? Now, both of them would agree that you get to heaven through Jesus, right? Um, Cats and dogs, though, even though they agree on that, they have different motivations for getting Jesus into their lives. In other words, cats walk backwards away from hell. They're looking at that, and they're walking backwards away from that, and they're saying, I don't want to go there. Right? That's their mentality. Walking backwards, primarily focused on themselves in the process. Jesus is their fire insurance, right? He's their their safety net, and that and that alone. There's no real delight in Jesus. There's no real treasuring of God in that scenario, in that outlook on life. They're only really worried about themselves. But dogs are quite different. They have a different outlook, right? They walk towards heaven. Heaven's before them. They've fallen in love with God, with a God who's not only powerful, but He's almighty. He's not only beautiful, He is beauty. He's not only creative, He is the creator. And He's not only awesome, He is. And they've given their lives to this God in whom they fall in love with, right? And, and not, they're not worried about hell. That's not on their mind anymore since they have fallen in love with an almighty God and they rest in their relationship with Him. They're just excited about Him. It's what Matthew chapter 13 verse 44 tells us, the parable that describes salvation. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And he went, and then in his joy, he went and sold all he had, and he bought that field. Out of joy and delight, he goes and sells all he had. He gives everything for this. Think about that. He gives everything for it. It's not a, it's not a duty. It's not just praying a prayer. Right? It's not just uh, you know fire insurance. It's 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 a it's not just a desire to escape the fires of hell, escape this oblivion that st- stands before it. It's based on a complete and full joy through which they begin this great relationship with the Savior of the world. So joy characterizes a dog's relationship with Christ. Very different. We all know joyless Christians. And to be honest, I've been one myself. I'm not so sure I'm that joyful right now, to be honest with you. All the stuff that's happened in the past year and a half has really got me thinking more and more and more and more. What, What is this all about? So you can pray for your pastor as I sift through that. So I'm, I, I'm in this camp. I'm preaching to myself, right? Maybe, there's a, maybe we're only backing away from hell sometimes, never really turning around to find the treasure. For, you know, focused on only ourselves. Our faith is, you know, all about a duty and a discipline, the do's and the don'ts, and then there's really no joy about it, right? But dogs have joy. They've found a treasure. Cats really only have relief, right? Whew. Not going to hell. Glad for that. Praise the Lord for that one, right? Cats walk away from hell and dogs walk towards heaven. And it's a huge difference. It's a huge difference. Symptom number three, obedience school looks different for each one of them. Both cats and dogs 
want or say that they want obedience in their relationship with God, but obedience looks very different for each of them, right? If we could picture dogs and cats going to obedience school, dogs would willingly be led there by their master, right? They would have a leash around their neck and he'd be leading them along and they would trust him in that. But cats would seek to become the master leading him into obedience to them. Because dogs want people to obey God, cats want God to obey people. That's the biggest problem that we have right now in modern Christianity and it's why we're having a split because people have decided that they can be God and that they've created a philosophy and a theology that fits that so strongly that we are splitting in the church like crazy across the board. It comes out in a cat's prayer life in their desire to have more, to have God conform to them accepting their internal desires and all the pleasures that they want to indulge in. Boldly, they ask God to grant these desires unconcerned about how they might glorify Him. Unconcerned about what they need to give up to glorify God. Symptom number four comes out in our quiet times. We see it there. Both cats and dogs have quiet times, right? You know, that time when you sit down and you read your Bible and you pray and all that kind of stuff. Both go before God, meeting Him on a regular basis, but when they, what they talk about is quite different, Right? In a dog's quiet time, his primary focus is on God's glory, right? And he asks, Father, how can I reveal your glory in a greater way in my life, in my marriage, in my parenting, at the office, or wherever I'm at? Where's your glory shining out in the Middle East, they ask? Or where's your glory shining out in our community? Where can we go participate with that? A dog's first and foremost concern is for the glory of God. Dogs constantly are asking, what does God get out of all this? But when cats have a quiet time, their focus isn't primarily on God. Rather, it's on what God can give them. Right? How they're going to feel better. They cozy up praying for things they want. They get their tea and their blanket and they cozy up on the couch and they're seeking God not for who He is, but only for what He can give. And since they're not really reading any of the challenging verses, the tough verses of Scripture, they believe God will endorse any errant desire that they might have. Like a selfish bride, quiet times are focused primarily on themselves. Now, maybe our prayers aren't so blatantly selfish, right? But pay attention to how we ask or what we ask for in our prayer lives. It may reveal a little bit of cat in all of us. If you were going to list your top three prayers, how, how many of them would be for the advancement of God's kingdom or the advancement of your own kingdom or a little mixture of both? Are they more cat than dog or more dog than cat or a little bit of both? Hopefully we will move from cat to dog prayers as we grow through this series. Now I want to point out that in our newsletter this week, you'll notice that I put in there a challenge to to put an alarm on your phone at 10.02. Either 10.02 a.m. or 10.02 p.m. or 10.02 both a.m. and p.m. And make that an alarm to pray Luke chapter 10 verse 2 every time it goes off. 
to pray that God would send out workers into the mission field, that God would send out workers to express his glory and, and to see people come to Christ across the world. It's just a really good reminder. It's a dog prayer, right? Symptom five is the problem of fairness. Cats want everything to be fair. Now understand this symptom, let's examine three lives. And I want you to listen closely to this because I think it's going to be challenging to us. Jabez in chapter in, in, in First Chronicles chapter four verse ten, the young girl in Second Kings chapter five, and then Stephen in Acts six and seven, if you remember that story. Beginning with Jabez's prayer in First Chronicles four ten, it says this Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me. And keep me from harm, so that I will be free from pain. Did you hear all that? You, you heard it, right? I mean, it's, you can't even miss it. Bless me. I want more. Enlarge my territory, my property, right? Let your hand be with me. May everything I touch turn to gold. Keep me from harm. I don't want any trouble. I don't want to be. I want to be free from pain. Gimme, 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 gimme. Right. It's really sort of a wimpy prayer if you think about it. You might remember that there was a very popular book, The Prayer of Jabez, Breaking Through the Blessed Life, uh, a book by Bruce Wilkinson that, was, that came out in the early 2000s where he urged people to make uh, Jabez's prayer for blessing to be a, a part of their daily fabric of, law, of life. And the book urged, you know, it taught, well, first of all, it topped the New York Times bestseller list. It sold 9 million copies. Let's say the guy only got 50 cents per copy. He got rich. Right? 9 million copies. It got the Evangelical Christian Publishers Association Gold Medal Medallion Book of the Year Award in 2001. I had to read that. It was such a long title. And it spun off all this other merchandising where, you know, he really got rich. You know, calendars and this and that. Is it wrong to ask for blessing? No, it's not. But to make it a mantra, to only be blessed without the purpose of turning that blessing out to glorify God to the nations is very cat-like. There is something wrong with that. How did God respond to Jabez? This is what's really surprising. Did he say, in the future, you know, Jabez, my son is going to come along, he's going to set an example by going to the cross and suffering for you, and you're going to need to, to learn to do the same in your own life. You know, in the future, my scripture will actually say, all who desire to live godly lives will be persecuted. So get with the program, Jabez. Learn to suffer and quit praying such cat-like prayers. Did God say that? That's not what he said. Instead, it says, God granted his requests. Oof. Just proved yourself wrong, Jason. Jabez asked God for the world, and God gave it to him. A cat prayer completely answered. That's life number one. Now, let's talk about life number two, the young girl in 2 Kings 5. 
We can't read it all, but we're going to highlight it, right? It's all about this young Jewish girl who gets taken captive in war to a foreign land. And if you remember that the Israelites had fought this other people group, and they had lost, and many Israelites had ended up as slaves, and this young young girl became a slave uh, to the wife of Naaman, if you remember, who was second in command of the enemy's army. And Naaman, at at some point contracts leprosy in this story and so the young Jewish slave girl speaks to her mistress his wife right about him and his leprosy now keep in mind the context of this story I I really want you to understand there's no children in here so I'm going to say it historically if an army defeated another army Part of the spoil was to take the women and abuse them sexually, to rape them, right? And then to keep them as slaves. And this still happens in many places around the world today. And it certainly must have happened here in this scenario. So in front of this young girl, at the moment that she was taken, Naaman or his men probably killed her father, probably killed her brothers, raped her mother, and then raped her before taking her back to be a slave. Think about how much you would hate Naaman if you were her. And this is the context in which this young girl responds to her mistress about Naaman's leprosy. So you have to ask, what does she say? Does she say, serves him right, let him rot? That would seem fair, that would seem just, that would seem, that's modern justice, by the way. Let them rot. Let them pay for it. Right? But that's not what she says. (laughs) If you remember the story, she says, If only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. She sends him to the doctor. The only guy that could cure, cure him. Which reveals that she has a heart of forgiveness, and she also has a heart for God's glory. Right? And despite all that she's been through, she still acts like like this. And as a result, her master goes, he gets healed, and he proclaims, this is Naaman saying this, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So a Gentile man, acknowledging the God of Israel, and telling others about him, warrior turned evangelist. Gentile turned evangelist, right? And all the, through all this brutal violence, this comes about, and God allowed one of his young chosen people to become a slave so a Gentile could be reached. That's life number two. Life number three is Stephen in Acts chapter six and seven. Uh, here we see that Stephen is full of God's grace, full of God's power in the story, and he does wondrous and miraculous signs among the people, and the, and the Sanhedrin get upset, and they arrest him, and, and they, he's, he's standing before them, and he gives this long speech, and they get, uh, they get others to lie about him, and all this kind of stuff, and he's, and he's basically sharing the gospel with these guys, but they don't like what he's saying, and he's testifying in their court, right? And Acts 7.57 is the result. It says, at the they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, kind of like children, right? Like, oh, la, la, right? And they all rushed at him and they drug him out of the city and they began to stone him. Stephen, full of God's grace and power, was stoned to death for Jesus. Stoned to death for Jesus. Now, we all want to be full of God's grace and power, 
But the problem is that makes us perfect candidates for martyrdom, as the text implies. See, having God's power in our lives isn't what we usually think it to be. It, it doesn't mean everything's going to work out for you. It's the power to stand firm in the midst of persecution, whereas we interpret God's grace and power, and the vineyard is very, very uh, guilty of this. So we interpret you know, God's grace and power as to everything working out for our personal favor. That's life number three. Now, I know that it's tough to think that God may have done this in these lives, right? Three different lives, right? One completely blessed, one living in a, a literal hell on earth in order to touch a Gentile's life, and then one stoned to death for Jesus. And we might ask, you know, to which life was God fair? How was how God fair to these people? But to concern ourselves with fairness is to mislead ourselves from the very beginning. Since life was never designed to be fair. Life was designed to be a series of opportunities to point to and to radiate and to reflect God's glory in our lives. That's what it's about. Did these lives glorify the Lord? Jabez asked God for blessings. God gave it, and God got glory out of that. Absolutely. Did the young girl, living through that hell, yet still having a heart of forgiveness, glorify the Lord? Yes, that brought even greater glory to God, I think. And then Stephen's death, did that glorify God? Of course, it glorified him in even greater ways. Whatever life throws at us, blessings or troubles, God says, I'll use it for my glory. Don't let it go to waste. Trust me. Depend on me through it. And lean on me. And by doing so, you're going to glorify me in your life. Amen to that. On September 15th, 1999, and this is only one story of many, right? A man with two guns walked into the Wedgwood Baptist Church in... uh, on a Wednesday evening in Fort Worth, Texas, and he opened up fire on people and he killed seven. It was a horrible tragedy, but one that God used for his glory eventually. What most people don't realize is that that pastor had previously prayed, Lord, do whatever it takes to expand this ministry. Now, stay with me. Don't get mad at me. After that tragedy, the pastor appeared on Larry King Live and he shared the gospel. Is Larry King still alive? My goodness, that guy was like a skeleton 20 years ago. But he's not alive, is he? Yeah. Well, God rest his soul. But, uh, you know, he appears on Larry King Live, right? And he shared the gospel with an audience of over 200 million people. CNN broadcasted that the, the funeral and over 35 people that we know of in Japan gave their lives to Christ as a result of that. Teachers in schools led children to Christ as a result of this in the public school system. The church was flooded with emails like, and, and, and letters asking, how can I have your peace? Tell me how to know Jesus. 
And the result was that that pastor's prayer was answered and God got tremendous glory through that tragedy. And some of you are sitting right now and you cannot sit here right now and you're thinking, how, how, you can't get past the, the philosophical question, did God cause that situation? Because you're looking at it with cat-like eyes. It's a question you can't answer. And you shouldn't. But I will say this. I do believe that God in his sovereignty is allowed to have me killed if it brings him glory. That is the truth. We're talking about this much in time and eternity, my life. We're talking about all of eternity. What, what is this? Nothing. It's a moment. It's a blip on the screen. I've, I'm secured forever. The point is that whatever life throws at you, God wants to use it for His glory. Life was never designed to be fair. Life was designed to be a series of opportunities to radiate and reflect God's glory in your life. And when we see life from that perspective, we're no longer cowards. We are brave people. When we see our life from that perspective, nothing gets us down. Each event coming our way is an opportunity to shine forth God's glory in this world. Symptom number six, cats and dogs worship very differently, don't they? Cats, cats worship God primarily for what he's done for them and secondarily for who he is. And as a result, the three favorite words found in cat songs are me, my, and I. Right? Me, my, and I. Cats singing about themselves in a Christian context all about what God's done for them. See, good worship leaders are picky and choosy about their songs. He's taken away my sins. He's died on the cross for me. He's taking away my burdens and my sorrows. Now, those are great thoughts. They're not wrong thoughts. They're good thoughts. But dogs worship God primarily for who he is, right? Secondarily for what he's done for them. A dog's favorite songs might be How Great Thou, Thou Art, you know, one of the old favorites. Remember that song, Indescribable, right? Or Glory to God Forever, and it's not necessarily because the words rhyme or they have this great beat or whatever, I don't know. Rather, the lyrics exalt God. They get excited about that. They love to glorify God with their worship. Do they ever sing about themselves? Of course they do. But it's not their primary focus, nor do they repeat them you know, often and over and over again. They primarily focus on God and His glory. Cats and dogs both worship God with a different focus. If cats and dogs sang the same song, you know, let the world rejoice, what's going on in their hearts are two different things. The cat immediately applies the song to himself, let my heart rejoice, right? It's all about him. 
cats focus on themselves even when singing about the world, right? But whereas dogs sing about the nations, wanting people from all over the world, all the different people groups of the world to rejoice in God. Dogs know it's, 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 it's about God and His greatest glory shining where, where all the, uh, you know, in reaching all the nations that don't yet know Him. Because that's our calling. Think through the words of one of your favorite worship songs. Are the words, words more focused on you, or are they more focused on God's glory? And don't get discouraged, just because your pastor is a little bit intense today. Don't get discouraged. If you need to change from being a man-centered cat to a dog-centered or a God-centered dog, then do so. Just simply look for other avenues, other, other songs focused on God and His glory more than us. What we... What we put into us and what we repeat has an effect on us, right? My wife and I have been talking about that quite a bit lately. So we've been talking about these cancers, these symptoms of the cancer in the church, and we've looked at six. Cats have a feel-good theology. Cats and dogs get to heaven differently. Their obedience school looks different. Their quiet times look very different. A cat thinks life is supposed to be fair, and cats and dogs worship God for different primary reasons, right? Most of what a cat knows, as we've been saying for eight or nine weeks in the past, most of what a cat knows isn't incorrect. But it is incomplete. Right? They're not learning bad theology, right, when they look at all those nice verses. They just haven't learned enough. It's not that important to them. And without realizing it, we violated a scriptural principle found in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2. It says, do not add to what I command you, and do not subtract from it, right? And unknowingly, what we have done is we have subtracted God's glory from His Word. And it's become all about us. Scripture tells us God's glory is revealed as God loves us and he wants to bless us, but we forget about God's glory as we focus on God loving and blessing us. What we've learned isn't incorrect, but it is incomplete. What we really need to remember, in order to eliminate our sort of cancerous you know, symptoms and not live like a selfish bride, is the simple phrase, life isn't about us, it's about Jesus. Life isn't about us, it's about Jesus. Cat theology, man-centered. Dog theology, God-centered. We can overcome the selfish bride attitude or syndrome in us by learning more of God's word, focusing on his glory, constantly asking, what does God get out of this, instead of what I get out of this? and by continually looking for the revelation of God's glory in all of life. Because, remember, life was designed to be a series of opportunities to radiate and reflect God's glory. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. This stuff is challenging to all of us. And I pray that you would prompt us to think, to use our thoughts, our decisions on how to glorify you among peoples around us, among the peoples of the world, where you want us to fit, what do you, what do you want us to do, how do you want us to react, 
Where do you want our focus to be? I think about that verse, you know, focusing on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith, and I, I pray that we would be able to do that. That we would walk towards heaven and not be backing away from hell. That we would actually really be excited about our relationship with you and what you're doing in the world, and we want to participate in that. We ask for your glory to shine over our community, over our church, over the work that we have overseas. And we thank you, Father, for all that you're doing. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to end just by telling you that uh, I spent uh, probably about an hour on the phone yesterday with um, two women. I can't say where they're from and I can't say their names because of the live stream. But um, that we support as a church uh, doing work in the Middle East. And... Uh, they were telling me that they really would like us to be praying, and you know, you know, they're just going through so much. There's um, the the the. <laughs> I say I can't tell you certain details, but I can tell you privately. But um, but the food situation, the fuel shortages, the loss of jobs due to COVID and some other factors blah, 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 just as just culminated in this really horrible situation, and it just seems to be getting worse, you know, corrupt politicians, and blah, 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 and all this stuff, and I just want you to be praying for these two women. You can call them R and M, right? Their, their names begin with an R, and the other one is an M. Just be praying for them, and they are uh, doing so much work, and they, they said despite all the the horrific stuff that's happening. Uh, one of them is battling cancer, and she's you know, getting treated for that, and God has almost eradicated her body of the cancer. She's got two small spots that have shrunk, but they're still there, and she's, she's assured that God's going to heal her of that, so you can pray for that. But despite all that stuff, they said people are coming to faith like you wouldn't believe that this whole situation has, has just churned up in people to come to faith. They are being stretched in their ministry. They are uh, doing retreats for women all across the board. They're, they're, they're being asked to speak in all these different places and train people um, how to share their faith and how to care for people and how to disciple people and all this kind of stuff. So just be praying for these women. And, you know, I know that, you know, finances is always an, always an issue. We do support these two women fully. Um, every month, all year long, and we have been doing that for a few years now. But I'm sure that if we, if one of us was called to give extra, I can get it to them, and it would be used, you know, maybe for a women's retreat. They have to extract women from certain countries because they can't do it in that country. They have to extract them, do the retreat, and then send them back. It's a, it's a big cost, stuff like that. But it's very valid, and and it's it's doing a lot of work. So uh, be praying about that and. Uh, We'd like to keep you updated on those, all those things. But that's one place where God's, God's revealing his glory to people that have never seen it before. In Christ, and we, we are so excited about that. So, amen. Have a good day. Go enjoy the sunshine and hang out and talk until you have to go.